streaming now, I believe, which is what we want to be doing. Saying good morning to everyone. I shall tweet about it. Uh, so I'm in, I'm in my garage today because it's raining. I don't know if you can tell if it's raining or not, uh, but it is. Oh, and I, I, need, I, uh, I need to do a little picture to commemorate today. So I'll do, I'll do a little selfie photo, maybe. There we go. This is done. Now we've commemorated the day. It's the day after Thanksgiving, Friday, November 27th. And uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here sitting in my garage because, um, you know, my, my home recording area is usually in the backyard and we've got a little pergola thing and it's, uh, it's uh, very loud. I found out in the rain. So I'm sort of here in, in shadow, like a film noir version of the, uh, of the live stream today that uh, you're going to get sort of light and shadow. All I need is, uh, you know, like a camel cigarette and a Maltese Falcon statue sitting over there. And it'll be just like the 1940s. How are y'all doing today? It's a day, you know, it's a day after Thanksgiving. We don't really have a name for that, do we? We don't really have a name other than, other than Black Friday. Uh, Falk in the chat says, good morning. Hey, good morning to you. You know, there's a way to embed the chat into the live stream. So if enough of y'all show up, maybe I'll do that. It'd be kind of fun. Audience participation, as they say. Uh, so how was your Thanksgiving? Was it good? Did you enjoy it? Did you have a nice, did you have a nice time? Was it fun to see family? Hopefully you were safe and, uh, and everything else, uh, you know, wore your mask if you had to go out. I don't think anyone's wearing their masks inside. I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think people care. I think people just don't care, especially here in, in the, in the States, people don't care. And, and the, U, the UK and uh, Europe always makes fun of us for not caring, but you don't have to do that. It's not nice. We're just, uh, we're just doing our best. All of us are doing our best. So, all right. Well, let's, let's start the show. I actually have some news and I have some, uh, you know, there's not much news, but I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about that turtle watch, the ghost net watch, because it's weird. I think I talked about this yesterday. They, um, Noah did some kind of collaboration and Noah's some kind of trendy New York brand. They did some kind of collaboration with, uh, Timex to do this cool watch that is a little, I showed you guys, yeah, it was yesterday. And so I ordered it and I have the transaction in PayPal, but I have no idea uh, if I actually did order it. Timex has not emailed me or said anything to me that would indicate to me that the order actually went through other than they charged PayPal. And of course the thing sold out. So if I'm going to get one, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty sad, pretty sad, not depressed, sad, come on but a little bit sad. Uh, in about an hour, I'm going to be joining Adam Curry uh, and his ho- co-host Dave to talk about, uh, I guess, podcasting on their podcast 2.0 show, which kind of came out around the podcastindex.org stuff that they're doing. Uh, do you see the light sort of flashing as the pathetic camera in this, uh, in this computer tries to adjust the lighting. We'll see if this is any better now that I'm halfway out of the shot. <laughs> the benefits of, you know, why, why didn't you just go into your studio, Dan? Because it's the day after Thanksgiving. 
because it's Black Friday and I don't, don't want to be out there. Do you want to be out there? I don't want to be out there. It's crazy. It's bad enough I have to run out uh, later for something. It looks like if I move my <laughs> arm, <laughs> that's what triggers the lighting change. So sorry about that. All right. <clears throat> Beverage has been consumed. We can get started. So anyway, I'm going to be on the show, and I, I suppose we're going to talk about podcasts. And we're going to talk about Fireside. <clears throat> we're going to talk about all these things that are important to, uh, to podcasters, new and experienced. And, um, and so that will be a fun thing. I, I've, I'm trying to think if I've actually ever done a podcast with Adam Curry before. And I don't think that I have. So it's great to be on there. We wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff. I mean, I'd be able to live stream, but I wouldn't be able to have a business around podcasting if it wasn't for Adam and the work that he's done. Uh, pretty remarkable. So I've got a question. If anybody out there is using any of the new M1 Macs, I'm curious to see if they're doing anything with Premiere and these Macs because... I do the video editing that I do when I make my videos, I do it in Premiere and I use Photoshop quite a bit. Uh, I also use Logic to edit all the audio stuff. I record with Audition, but that's on the PC side. I have actually a Windows machine uh, that I use for, um, for the, the audio recording in the studio. And so it's important to me to know how those apps perform Right now, apparently, there are a bunch of issues in getting all the homebrew stuff. If you're a Rails developer or just really any developer, you probably do a lot with homebrew. And I sure do. And I've heard there are lots and lots and lots of problems and weirdnesses with getting homebrew to work on an M1 Mac. In fact, maybe you can't even get it to work with an M1 Mac. I don't know. But I would love to hear about that. So if you are... If you are the type of person who's doing video editing and you're trying it on Big Sur on an M1, I want to know if, if it's at least as performant, if not more, than it would be on a regular Intel Mac. So if you know about that, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin. In the chat, they're saying this was the least stressful Thanksgiving we've ever had, just a home with immediate family. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the case here, too. Picked up all the food. It was great. Turkey was great. Ribs were great. I'm never making another Thanksgiving meal at home unless I uh, have like a, a professional chef come in the house to do it. But anyway, there are these really good deals right now on the M1 computers. Both Adorama and uh, B&H are offering like a uh, hundred bucks off. So I think I want to get one of these things if they're if they're performant the way that they're supposed to be. So that'll be something that I really need your input on. All right, that's all been very pretty boring. It's been pretty boring so far, but you know what? That's okay. Sometimes it's not exciting, like the day after Thanksgiving. You just don't have a lot to talk about. There's nothing in the news. I mean, one piece of news that I heard is that Trump finally said that he would essentially concede if the Electoral College all votes that uh, Biden has won. But does he need to say that? Isn't that just the law and the way that it works. If the electoral college votes, then of course you leave, right? That's what I thought. 
Um, oh, we have the results in about the uh, National Dog Show that happened yesterday. Uh, of course, the results came in yesterday, but it was after I was done with the streams. So couldn't talk about it. But it, it was won by a three-year-old Scottish deerhound named Claire, who won the National Dog Show 2020, the first of her breed ever to win the title. And, uh, and I have a photograph of the dog. Uh, actually, let me get a better photograph of the dog if I can, because it's not a good one. I know all of you people love dogs. So I always have to talk about dogs. Here's your dog. Here's your winner. Nice, huh? I don't, I've never owned a dog. Uh, I've always owned cats until the last, uh, we had two, a brother and sister, and then the, they, they died one by one as they uh, had renal failure. And we used to have to do subcutaneous fluid injections. Uh, and, and if you haven't done this, it's not gross. I'm not going to gross you out. This isn't a gross out. This isn't a, a body horror show yet. So what you do is you would get a saline bag that would hang from the, uh, that would hang from the, I guess we had, we would just hang it from the end of the dresser. We would open a drawer. This is years ago. We'd open a drawer and hang in a little, the little hook on the little uh, handle of the dresser. And then it would have a tube and a, and a big ass needle, like a huge needle, like really big, like you don't want this in your body. And you would uh, put that under the cat's skin, like you'd pick, pick it up and poke it in there, which of course the cat, you cats love that kind of thing. And, uh, and then you would let it sit there and you'd have to sit there. And I, there was like a time, I forget if it was two minutes, if it was five minutes, but it was minutes where you'd have to <laughs> try to convince your cat to sit there motionless as you allow uh, basically a fluid bubble to form under its skin. And that's because when cats have this kidney disease and renal failure, they, um, they basically can't get enough liquid. They can't get enough fluid and they're drinking water all the time. It's really sad. They're basically constantly thirsty and putting this fluid under their skin, it absorbs into them, I guess, in another way. It's another good way of getting the, uh, the liquid inside of their bodies. So we used to have to do this every single day to this poor cat until finally he was just past all hope. So we, uh, we had to put him down. And then later his sister got a similar thing. Great fun. And then after that, we didn't get any more cats. We had children instead. And now, of course, all my kids do is talk about cats. But I've never owned a dog. I've never owned a dog. And uh, I hear they're a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I don't have a problem with dogs. I have a problem with, with um, dog owners who are irresponsible and ignorant and selfish and don't take care of their dogs and exercise them and walk them and teach them to be uh, subservient and let them rule and bark all the time. Anyway, uh, there is a Texas funeral that became a coronavirus super spreader event. 42 people got sick there. Uh, you know, it's this kind of thing. And I, I read an article also yesterday, people who were traveling, some of those people were being interviewed and they were interviewed and they said, well, you know, we miss our family. We want to see our family. So we got to travel. Like we just have to do it. You know, it's, I don't, I don't want to stay home. I want to see my family. Like, of course you do. Everybody does. But you're spreading it. And you're making it worse. It's, you know, it's like when one of my kids has like, uh, like $2. But the thing that they want is $5. 
And then when they realize they're not going to be able to get the extra $3, instead of saving up and waiting, what they're going to do is they're going to buy something they don't really want for $2. And then they're going to regret their decision immediately because it wasn't the thing that they really wanted. And it's like, I want to shake all these people who are doing these things and say to them, you know, it would be better if instead of just traveling right now, you know what? Don't travel, stay home, wear a mask, and you'll be able to travel anywhere you want even sooner. People just don't get this. They just don't get it. Ryan in the chat room says, there's a lot of YouTube content already out there that seems pretty convincing to me, a video editor, that things are at least comparable to the 16-inch Intel model. Uh, that would be encouraging, Ryan. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, from direct experience, um, Ryan, if, if you don't mind, could you drop a couple of those links into the chat or even just one of them uh, of someone saying that, talking about it, especially with Premiere? I'm sure Logic runs great. But Premiere is the main, the biggest concern. Uh, gosh, you know, there again, not a lot of news today. Uh, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk for a minute about the simulation theory because I refer to it a lot. And I think there is a lot of people who have heard this, um, but they haven't really, they don't really understand what it is. It's called the simulation theory or the simulation hypothesis. So let me read you a quick summary of, of what this is, and we'll talk about it. The simulation hypothesis or simulation theory is the proposal that all of reality, including the Earth and the rest of the universe, could in fact be an artificial simulation, such as a computer simulation. Some versions rely on the development of a simulated reality, a proposed technology that would be able to convince its inhabitants that the simulation was real. The simulation hypothesis bears a close resemblance to various other skeptical scenarios from thought throughout the history of philosophy. The hypothesis was popularized in its current form by Nick Bostrom. The suggestion that such a hypothesis is compatible with all of our perceptual experiences is thought to have significant epistemological consequences in the form of philosophical skepticism. Versions of the hypothesis have also been featured in science fiction, many as a central plot device. Um, but here is the way that this works. And let me find, there is, um, yes, this is a good write-up of it. So I'll read this to you. This is Nick Bostrom's, oh, and by the way, I'm balancing this uh, laptop on a Yeti cooler, and above that, an Igloo cooler, and then the laptop. So that's how we're rolling today. Many works of science fiction, as well as some forecasts by serious technologists and futurologists, predict that enormous amounts of computing power will be available in the future. Let us suppose for a moment that these predictions are correct. One thing that later generations might do with their super-powerful computers is run detailed simulations of their forebears or of people like their forebears. Because their computers would be so powerful, they could run a great many such simulations. Suppose that these simulated people are conscious, as they would be if the simulations were sufficiently fine-grained, and if a certain quite widely accepted position in the philosophy of mind is correct. Then it could be the case that the vast majority of minds like ours do not belong in the original race, but rather to people simulated by the advanced descendants of an original race. 
It is then possible to argue that, if this were the case, we would be rational to think that we are likely among the simulated minds rather than among the original biological ones. Therefore, if we don't think that we are currently living in a computer simulation, we are not entitled to believe that we will have descendants who will run lots of such simulations of their forebears. Okay, so then it goes into something called the simulation argument. And this is what y'all need to really understand, okay? So this is what's called a trilemma, instead of a dilemma, uh, that he calls the simulation argument. This is Nick Bostrom. Um, it says, despite the name, the simulation argument does not directly argue that we live in a simulation. Instead, the trilemma argues that one of three unlikely seeming propositions is almost certainly true. Okay, so one of these three things pretty much has to be true. You with me so far? Okay. Uh, oh, and Bob, by the way, Momo Badalak says, it should have been the igloo on the bottom, then the Yeti, fail, unsubscribed. Um, the Yeti is bigger and more stable and stronger. Uh, and I don't know about you, but if you're building a tower, you usually put the bigger, stronger thing on the bottom and the smaller, pointier thing on the top. Uh, pyramids, Aztec pyramids, and uh, in this case, my pyramid of uh, coolers. All right, so here are, one of these things needs to be true. Okay, so hear me out. One, the fraction of human-level civilizations that reach a post-human stage, which they're identifying as one capable of running high-fidelity ancestor simulations, is very close to zero. This is the first thing that must be, one of these three must be true. Either we will never get to the point where we can run a simulation. That's what that one says. Two, the fraction of post-human civilizations that are interested in running simulations of their evolutionary history or variations thereof is also very close to zero. In other words, maybe we can do it, but no one wants to do it. No one does it. Or three, the fraction of all people with our kind of experiences that are living in a simulation is very close to one. In other words, we're living in a simulation. Does that make sense to you? If not, play that back. I'll continue. The trilemma points out that a technologically mature post-human civilization would have enormous computing power. Even if a tiny percentage of them were to run an ancestor simulation, in other words, make the world like we have it, the total number of simulated ancestors in the universe would greatly exceed the total number of actual ancestors. In other words, there's going to be more than one. Uh, if the third proposition is one of those three that is true, and almost all people with our kind of experiences uh, live in simulations, then we are almost certainly living in a simulation. It's pretty interesting to think about this, because what we're really saying is one of these things is true, right? If the first one's true, then we will almost certainly go extinct before we reach a post-human state. Uh, if the second one is true, then there has to be a what they call a strong convergence among advanced civilizations so that they decide that they will not run one, even though we can. Or three, then we almost certainly live in a simulation, right? Uh, we kind of have to live in a simulation if you think of it that way. Now, let's talk more about the simulation now that I'm done reading. There are two different ways to look at the simulation, one of them is it's more like a virtual reality kind of experience, the same kind of experience that you might have if you put on some VR glasses and maybe you had some kind of deeply immersive experience where, uh, like in the movie Ready Player One, where you're wearing some kind of suit or something that 
in one way or another, maybe it's even more like in the Matrix movies where they plug a little thing into the back of your neck and it connects right to your brain stem and into your brain. But one way or another, it is a fully immersive experience that you are having that you watching this are not actually the being that you are right now. You're some other kind of being. Maybe you're human. Maybe you're a ball of energy. Who knows? But that you are in some way connected to this experience and that perhaps when you die, you disconnect it and, and then you're back to being the thing. And it's like a dream or walking out of a movie theater or something. And you say, whoa, that was amazing. That was unbelievable. Uh, wow. Let's do that again. Hey buds, let's go back in and do it again. And this time, you know, I'll be the dad and you be the kid or whatever. Okay. Um, that's one concept. The other concept, and, and this is almost lost the phone again, almost lost the phone again. Uh, the second idea is that we are actually part of the simulation. We exist within the simulation. In other words, we are almost a kind of AI. We are constructs. We are artificially intelligent beings that exist within the simulation. Now you can say, wait a minute, there's no possible way that we have, would have enough computing power to have millions or billions of intelligent beings created and living within a simulation. Well, how do you know that? We talked yesterday about what the future might hold that uh, I talked with John about this too uh, on yesterday's road work. We don't know what our technology will be in a hundred years, let alone a thousand years. And there's no telling how far advanced whoever or whatever created this simulation uh, is, technologically speaking. Now, 50 years ago, people didn't have computers in their house, right? Now we've got them in our pocket with every answer to every question you could ever possibly want to know right there on Google. Unthinkable for somebody like our grandparents when they were kids, right? If I told them that I would walk around with this and all of the infrastructure that this is connected to and what it tells me about everything from email to maps to Wikipedia to the Gutenberg project, literally anything and everything that's ever been written and published is probably right here. Any math problem can be, well, not any, come on, but can be solved right here. You get what I'm saying. Um, so it's interesting to kind of think what our technology might be able to do in a hundred years from now. Remember a hundred years ago, there basically weren't computers, not the way we think of them today. They might've had computing machines, but nothing like what we have today. What's going to be in a hundred years, thousand years. So it's almost safe to assume that eventually we will have enough computing power to simulate what we see around us. I think that's a safe assumption to make. I think many scientists agree. And I think many people agree. At some point, we will have the technological power to simulate not just the intelligence of one person, but of millions or even billions of people. But here's the kicker. We don't have to. And let me explain why. We don't need to simulate every living being on this planet to have a perfectly functional, convincing simulation. We only need to simulate a handful of people, maybe a million, maybe a hundred thousand. I don't know. And this is where you get into the concept. And there are move, there's a movie apparently with Ryan Reynolds. It's been ma being made in a joking way about this. But 
Uh, this is something that's talked about a lot in philosophy and it's talked about a lot in the new agey kind of things. Um, but it, it feels kind of wrong to talk about it cause it's kind of like insulting and weird, but I'll say it anyway, since we're on the subject is the notion of what, what is often called backdrop people, Google this backdrop people, um, also referred to as non-player characters. In other words, just like in any good game, you have a non-player character. So for non-gamers, what this is, is this is a, a person or a being or a creature or whatever that exists in the world that you're playing in, playing the game in. And this being acts and operates. Maybe it's the merchant that you interact with after you go on your adventure and you come back and you say, okay, I found this stuff and I want to trade it and upgrade my armor or whatever. That's a non-player character. Or maybe somebody that you encounter on the road who, who comes up with a little side quest for you. My, you know, my husband went to fight the monster and he hasn't come back. You've got to go save him. Okay. Um, those are non-player characters that you can interact with. Well, if we're talking already about a very highly advanced civilization, then very likely they could simulate or use fewer resources to simulate a non-player character. So let me give you an idea of who a backdrop person would be as defined by this theory. And don't, don't assume that I believe this. We're just talking about it. Okay. So be calm. A backdrop person would be, let's say you're, you're back. Remember when we used to go to our jobs and drive to them? Okay. Pretend that you're driving to your job and you look over and there's a car over there to your left. And there's a person in the car and they're sitting there looking straight ahead or maybe they're talking on the phone, or maybe they're singing a song or whatever. And you look over and you think, there's just some person. Now, that person might be a backdrop person, a non-player character. You don't know because you're not really interacting with them. But they go and they turn and they drive away. Now, if you were driving on the road and you didn't see that person, and you didn't see anyone else around you, it was just you and your car, and maybe there's one car way over there and one car way behind you, you'd be like, this is weird. We live in an isolated, deserted place. This doesn't seem real to me. This isn't what real life is. There should be people all around us, right? Well, those people, according to this theory, are backdrop people. That that person in the car isn't, they're real in that if you turned your wheel and hit their car, you'd hit something and then they'd get out and be angry at you. But it's not the same that you are. They're not perhaps the, and this is what they say is that they don't have the same spark of life that you have. They are alive in a way, but not the same way you are. Maybe they're not fully simulated, right? Now, if you do turn your wheel and hit their car and they get out, maybe they get a few extra CPU resources so that you can interact with them in that way. And when it's done, they're scaled back down and then they sort of vanish. They're not really there. They're not really there. Maybe some of the people that are liking your tweets are not real the way that you're real. But I'll tell you what, if you're watching me right now or listening to me right now, you are real. That's how you know, because you have a consciousness and you're able to think about these things and that a backdrop person wouldn't be able to think about them. But that is part of the way that explains how this simulation is able to function. So if you've ever played a game like Minecraft, there are the villagers and the villagers only do certain things and you can interact with them and uh, they don't always agree with you. Uh, but, you know, there are things you can do that make them angry, for example, or, or sad. Uh, but they're not real the way that you as a player are real. That's the concept of the backdrop person or of the NPC in the simulation. 
Uh, but this all goes back to the thought that we might all be in a simulation. And how do you get proof of this? Well, it's very hard to prove this. It's very hard to prove uh, whether we are or aren't in a simulation other than walking through this sort of logical uh, experiment. And the bigger thing that I want to point out is, so what? If we are in a simulation, so what? Whether we're plugged into it and we're beautiful glowing orbs of light or whether we are uh, fully existing inside of the simulation doesn't change the fact that to us here right now, it's real, right? We are alive. We are thinking. We are enjoying or maybe hating our life. But we are very real, and it's real to us. It's no less real to us whether we're simulated or whether we actually exist. But... There are things within the simulation or within the world that you can look at and you can say that there, that's too weird. That, that feels scripted. That feels written. So anyway, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, anyway, some people, Ollie B in the chat saying, am I an NPC? I don't know if you're an NPC. It's possible that you, if, if the simulation is real and we're all really in it, you could be, because I'm just seeing some text on a screen here. And it's very possible, even if you were to send me a picture, how do I know that this isn't your scripted role to be an NPC? Well, here's another thing that they say, is that the people that you interact with in your life, in your, in your world, those people are all real. So in other words, if you are dating someone, or giving birth to someone, or uh, your best friend that you've known for a long time, these are other real people, that the people that you truly interact with and have friendships and relationships and closeness with, those people generally are real. They're not simulations. Now, I have added in my own layer to this, which I'll share with you before we wrap up today's stream. And that is, I believe that there are um, super, super backdrop people, super backdrop people, and the way a super backdrop person works is there are people who are required to exist in order to give those of us who are, you're, you're real, if you're watching this, you're real, but the, it is to give people like us guidance or trends or experiences that we as a whole, as a whole need to have, Okay. So I'll give you an example. Have you ever seen an actor, an actress, a performer, a musician, um, an author, somebody who seems to have created or done something that almost seems amazing or too good to be true or that the person is too good to be true? Perhaps they are. So for example, think of your favorite actor. Okay, actually take a step back. Think of somebody like um, Kardashians, right? They are so influential on so many parts of what we think of as pop culture and have been for so long, and yet they don't seem real. Nobody really knows them. Only the other people in that kind of world seem to know them. So maybe they are a super backdrop person, they're there to change the matrix a little bit, right? They're basically there to 
create new trends or experiences or things like that. And maybe it's true for politicians as well. Maybe these people don't exist the same way that you, watching me right now, that you exist, where you have a complete life. Okay, so there's another theory, and I don't know the name of this one. So anyone who knows it, please tell me. Um, But the theory is, and again, this goes back to being in a simulation, and I'll use a, a Minecraft comparison, if you know what Minecraft is. If not, Google it. You should know. Minecraft, the world, the Minecraft world that you're in, only the parts that you can directly experience in the world are being actively rendered. Stay with me. As you walk around in the world, there's a sphere of, of blocks, a certain range, that as you move through this sphere, that's what's being actively rendered around you. So let's say you've got a base, and then your base is where you have like all this your items and stuff that you store, and you say, I'm going to go explore. I need to go collect. I need to go find some pumpkins so I can make some jack-o'-lanterns. And yes, this is a thing people do in Minecraft. And so you, uh, you start going on a quest, and you walk for five or ten minutes in one direction. The stuff that's five or ten minutes back, your home base, is not being rendered anymore. It's not there. It's not real. It's not active anymore. And as you start to walk back with it, this bubble that surrounds you, this bubble of actively rendered uh, content, follows you. Okay, so what if you did something? What if you had something running in that area that you were in? When you come back, nothing will... So let's say that you have there these things you can build that are called farms in Minecraft, farms. And they could be automatic things that, for example, yes, yes, I'll get into this a little bit. For example, you could have one that automatically shears sheep for you. Yes, there are sheep in Minecraft and you need wool and you can build things with wool and use wool to make other things. And you can set up an automatic shearing thing so that what happens is the sheep eats the grass and it grows some wool, Right you can have a little detector that looks to see when the grass block has been changed, and in this case, eaten by a sheep. And of course, you have the sheep penned up in a little space. And when it detects that, uh, that the grass has been removed or eaten, then there's something, it'll send a little electric pulse up to something sitting on top of it. And that thing that's sitting on top of it will automatically shear the sheep, and then the wool will fall and a thing will collect it. Anyway, all of this is happening behind the scenes. Uh, But it doesn't happen if you move out of that area. If you move out of that area, it won't happen. Uh, And when you get back, it will sort of figure out what happened and start again. What if the world is like that? What if the area that you're able to observe, the whole tree falls in the woods concept, what is observable to a real living person If you move out of that area, what is unobservable no longer exists. Okay, so I'm sitting in my garage right now, in upstairs in my bedroom. That doesn't exist right now. Like, if I go to it as I walk toward it, it starts to render, right? And by the time that I'm up there, it's fully rendered. But right now, because there is no sentient being in there, it's not being rendered. And this is how the simulation would conserve resources, right? So just think about this. What if that's true? And, and it, it applies to the whole Schrodinger's cat concept as well. What if you set something up in that room that would happen when you weren't in there? 
when you got home or got back, that thing would have happened. But the computer's simply figuring out, computer running the simulation, is simply figured out, well, what if this thing had happened? So, for example, one time my friends left, it there, uh, they, had, they didn't have time to take the trash out before they went out to meet us for dinner. And uh, they have a dog. So they had taken the trash out and they had set it by the door. And when they got back, the dog had ripped the trash bag open and eaten the chicken bones and made a giant mess in their uh, kitchen as a dog would be expect, fully expected to do. So what happens is they come back and there's this giant mess. But technically none of that happened really until they showed up to see it. Think about that this weekend because I'm done here today. And uh, oh, couple little couple little people in the chat talking about this. Uh, they say that um, one person says, I'm trapped inside a background character. Help. Okay. Um, but anyway, you, you know, I, I am not a, a, thank you for asking Dominic. I am not a super backdrop person. I am, a, but I, I, I'm thrilled that you would consider me to be one. That's uh, wonderful. Uh, Juiced says, so would backdrop people get recycled? Would there be certain templates that get used over and over again? Thank you for mentioning that. Don't you know, can't you identify people that are like other people? They kind of look similar, act similar, but they're not. They're different, but they seem to be the same form. I call these people protoforms. So you might know someone. Let's say you know someone named Jane. And then you kind of see someone else. You're like, that person really reminds me a lot of Jane. That's because there's a protoform of that person with slight little tweaks and slight little modifications right? Anyway, think about it. Uh, Jared says, I was just going to ask this, is object permanence part of the simulation or is the simulation only rendering the parts you're looking at save the CPU cycles? Yes. So that's what we just talked about. Uh, that is the, uh, that is the concept is a conservation of CPU resources. You don't need to render anything that isn't directly being observed by a true sentient piece of the simulation or someone who's plugged in. Uh, okay, Juiced has replied and says, uh, this seems to be covered in a paper called On Testing the Simulation Theory by Tom Campbell and a bunch of other people. I'm going to have to read that. Going to have to read that. Oh, <laughs> Ryan says next, <laughs> next live stream should be from the truck. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Listen, have a good weekend. Uh, everybody, and uh, I'm going to be doing that show with Adam in about half an hour, and I believe I'm supposed to do an episode of Quit today, too. It won't be a video live stream from here, but it might be from this garage, so we'll see. Uh, but until then, have a good one, and uh, if you don't tune in for those, I'll see you back here on Monday. 